Hi, you're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Impact Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I'm Pastor Brandon, the church planter and lead pastor. We are a new church in the D.C. area that is centered on the gospel and sent to our neighborhoods, Northern Virginia, and the nations. Please visit our website at www.impactfxbg.church. There, you'll find our current meeting times and locations. Our prayer is that you are encouraged by the message you hear today and fall more in love with Jesus and others. Thanks for listening. Hey, uh, everybody. My name is Wes. I'm one of the, the pastors here at Impact Church, and I'm excited that you're here today. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. That's good. I appreciate it. Um, today, uh, we are going to continue our, our sermon series in the book of Ephesians. So if you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, uh, if you would turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Um, we'll talk about why in just a minute. Uh, if, the, if you are new or this is your first time at church, no sweat. Um, we, if you don't have a Bible, it's not a problem. Uh, we encourage you uh, to use an app for that. Uh, the one that we like to recommend is Version, Y-O-U version. It has lots of different English translations of the Bible. You can find one that works for you. But uh, we want to encourage you and everybody to have their own copy of God's Word so that you can follow along. One of the things that we are, are really... Um, that we really stress at Impact is that uh, me, uh, as, as a, a pastor, and, and Brandon, as a pastor, we don't have uh, all the rights to God's Word. We want you to have your own copy to, so that you can see what it says, and you can uh, follow along with us as we read today. Um, as you have already kind of picked up, Brandon's not here. Uh, Brandon and his family are actually in Christiansburg. They're, uh, partner, or they're preaching at one of our partner churches and having a great time today. So he sends you his love and his blessings and all of those things um, like Paul did when he talked to churches that he wasn't at. Um, I told him that I was going to just read Paul's benediction like grace and peace to the brothers of impact, but I said we, we wouldn't necessarily do that this morning. Um, but uh, I do want to let you know that we are doing something a little different today, because you, if you've been following along in our series of Ephesians, you may have said, hey, uh, today is going to be my favorite sermon series or sermon because today is about marriage. Woo! Nope. <laughs> it's not about that. Um, in fact, Brandon um, has pre-recorded a, a message, and it's going to be, um, he, we're going to put up a QR code at the end of the service today so that you can uh, get that. You can download it. It'll be on our podcast, and that's where we're going to handle the, the marriage and relationships sermon. So that's good. Uh, the reason being is because, uh, I don't know if you noticed, but we had Thanksgiving this week, and that means that we are now in the Advent season. And so we could either spend an extra week in Thanksgiving, or not Thanksgiving, spend an extra week in Ephesians and, and, and kind of rush through Advent, or we can do it this way. So that's how we're going to do it. So I'm going to finish out Ephesians today. That sound good? All right. So everybody in Ephesians 6, if you're there, say I'm there. Perfect. I'll tell you where to go in just a second. Um, before we begin, um, really get going, I have a confession to make. Um, this isn't really going to be much of a confession to those of you that know me, but I just feel like everybody needs to be on the same page. I'm a nerd. Thanks. Uh, you should be well aware, if you have spent any time with me, um, that you know that I'm a nerd. But I'm not just like any nerd, because I think that everyone is a nerd about something. Um, for example, if you really like sports, guess what? You're a nerd about sports. I don't mean to be offensive, but just so that you know. If you really like crafting things, you're a nerd about crafting things. If you like music, you can be a music nerd. Uh, we'll discuss those later. Uh, but um, I am like a, a true nerd because I'm like full in on the, like the fantasy novel thing. So if you know what I'm talking about, like I, I read books about elves and I watch movies about hobbits, and those are the ones that I like. I prefer them to Star Wars. Franklin can talk to me later about that. It's okay. Um, I play games about those things. I'm a nerd, and I'm okay with that. But I feel like we need to have a kind of a conversation about why it's important to me. One of the reasons I love those stories is because I love the moment of the big battle. And if you've watched those movies, if you've read those books, if you've played those games, you know what I'm talking about. It's the moment where um, uh, the forces of good are fighting the forces of evil. Everything looks bleak, terrible, horrible. Everybody's going to die. It's going to be really bad. And then, out of nowhere, this horn sounds, and there's light on the mountain, and here comes flooding the, the Calvary. And if you have watched Lord of the Rings, you know the scene I'm talking about in the third movie. The music swells, and it's just this perfect moment of like, yeah, okay? All right, 
Yes, yes, you're welcome. All right, um, <laughs> uh, C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien call those stories fairy stories. And, and uh, J.K. Chesterton said something that I really appreciated about it. He said, fairy stories are important not because they tell us that dragons are real, but because they tell us that dragons can be beaten. I love those stories because they remind us of a far greater truth, that those battles, those things, they're not just some fantasy land. They're not just for our entertainment and shared imagination. They are a truth hidden in plain sight because each of us live in a world uh, plagued by war and battle. Now, I'm not talking necessarily about world struggles and world wars and, and rumors of wars and things like that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about real, everyday battles and struggles that we go through every day, individually. You are in a war. Now, you may think that that battle was because your kids were fussy this morning. Okay? Now, if you've ever had fussy kids when you're trying to get somewhere, yes, that is a battle. But that's not the kind of battle I'm talking about. Uh, you may also uh, may think you're in a battle because you and your family got into an argument on the way to church today. Um, again, not the kind of battle I'm talking about. You may uh, think about things like you, you spilled your coffee or you had to drive down 95. Yes, that is a battle. And we can fight that battle uh, you know, with extreme prejudice. But <laughs> that's not the battle I'm talking about. I'm talking about a very real and a very honest battle that wages every day uh, for our souls and the souls of our neighbors and our friends and our family. We live in this world of warfare, and we are honestly blind to it most of the time. Um, we choose not to see our eyes, our lives through spiritual eyes. And so what we see as hardships and struggles, we see as just coincidences. These are just bad things that happen. And we don't see them as part of an actual real battle that needs our attention and our focus. This is what Paul is going to be talking about today as we read in Ephesians 6. And if you've been paying attention, if you've been with us as we've gone through Ephesians, Paul has led us and, and the people of Ephesus, the, his church that he's writing to, to this moment. And he's talked about all these great theological truths. He's painted beautiful pictures of the gospel and of Jesus and this great portrait of what it means to live as a follower of Christ, to live in harmony with others and to seek purity and peace and beauty. And then we land right here where he tells us about war. It probably felt a little bit like whiplash, and it, it probably was meant to be, because Paul wants us and his readers to be aware of a harsh reality. You're not in heaven yet. It's, it's true. You're not there yet. No, no matter how comfortable your life may be, we're not there yet. And we need to know that we're in the midst of a battle, in the midst of a war that's been raging since Jesus was resurrected and will continue to wage until he comes again. So we're going to talk about it because we need to talk about it because we're in it, okay? So we're going to pick up today in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. If you're there, say I'm there. <coughs> All right, you follow along with me as I read aloud. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may, may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. We're going to stop right there for a minute, and we'll finish the chapter in a few minutes. But we need to talk about what Paul is talking about. Paul's talking about war. He's talking about battle. And he does so by being pretty explicit. But I think that Paul gives us a couple of really clear instructions about what it means to be in this battle and how we're supposed to fight this spiritual battle. The first thing that he says, and if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Speaking of taking notes, everyone should have on your seat a response card. Woo! 
There is a place to take notes. There's some announcements on the back. There's also a blue tear-off portion that you can fill out and put in the response uh, box at the end. We'll get there in a second. But take some notes today. So your first note, how can I fight this battle? What am I supposed to do? The first one that we can think or we can see is to be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. That, that's, what Saul, that's what Paul says, excuse me. Be strong in the Lord. There's some really important things here that we need to pay attention to. And the first thing that I want us to pay attention to is a, a little word right in the middle of that statement, the word in. It doesn't be strong of the Lord, be strong with the Lord, be strong about the Lord. It says be strong in the Lord. In is really important. In's a preposition, and it means a relationship or something is directly inside of another. <laughs> it's in. Be strong in the Lord. What that tells us, how do we fight this war? How do we battle? We fight it by being strong in the Lord because of a couple of reasons. The first one is because we're at war. Heyo. Uh, if you haven't picked up on that, that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, N.T. Wright said something that was really uh, insightful to me because he said that even the subject of spiritual warfare is often subject to spiritual warfare. The enemy doesn't like us talking about it because, and this is really important, most people forget that they're in the middle of a spiritual war. In fact, I think that we could do a survey of our community and find that most people probably don't even know or believe that the devil exists that there is a real spiritual enemy that is real, that that's not just some guy that shows up at Halloween or on what movie we're watching, that is a very real force of spiritual darkness. They assume that the struggles they face are isolated events um, that have no eternal significance or bearing. So let me ask you a couple of questions. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because um, this is going to get in a real awkward real quick if we raise our hands the whole time. But I want you to think about this. How many of you have had trouble praying this past week, have struggled to pray? How many of you have had trouble studying your Bible, the motivation to actually get into God's Word? How many of you have struggled against a temptation or a sin this week where you, you thought maybe we had making some ground, but then it came up, or this temptation appeared out of nowhere and, and gotcha that you weren't paying attention to? How many of you found yourself more frustrated this week? more anxious this week, more depressed this week, feeling feelings that you don't know why you were feeling them, but they were definitely real and they were happening, but we don't know where they came from. Okay. Don't be lulled into a path of life where you don't see the, these things as part of a larger picture of a war against you and against the kingdom of God. Because we are at war with a very real enemy. Um, it's important for us to note that Paul here says to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, and that's how we fight this war. But then if you skip down to verse 12, he tells us who we fight against. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So who are we at war with? We are at war with spiritual forces of darkness that exist and they fight against us at every step. Because these spiritual forces of darkness have two goals for you. The first one is to destroy you. And if they can't destroy you because you're in Jesus Christ, they want to incapacitate you, make you useless, unaffected for the gospel. Either one is fine. And they will do whatever they can to do it. Because we need to recognize this, that these are very real forces, but unfortunately, societally, or even in, uh, most, in a lot of churches, we have two general approaches to spiritual warfare. We either, one, completely ignore it. It's not a thing. God is love. He loves you. That's all we talk about. While those things are true, we, if we ignore them completely, then we're doomed to be subject to them. Or the second one, and this was kind of like the church that I grew up sometimes, we focused on them so much to the point of obsession, okay? So much that that's the only thing that we can talk about. And where we see every little thing of our life as a spiritual warfare. Okay, I stubbed my toe because I wasn't paying attention to spiritual warfare. Okay, my wife looked at me crossly this morning. That's spiritual warfare. Okay, maybe, <laughs> but maybe not. So we, we can't see everything there, but we also can't ignore it completely. 
See, the thing that we need to know here is that Paul doesn't want to satisfy our curiosity about spiritual darkness. He doesn't give us a flowchart of the hierarchy of demons, of rulers, of authorities, and principalities. He doesn't, that, that's not the point. The point isn't for us to know all of the things. The point is for us to see them as hostile. They are hostile to the mission of God, and he wants to teach us how to overcome it. That's the goal. So if you're one of the people that really likes horror movies, maybe you like true crime documentaries, podcasts, you like shows about serial killers, mass murderers, like that's your jam, may I just provide you a, an alternate uh, viewing of those things rather than entertainment? Perhaps they are useful uh, to lull us into a state where we normalize those kinds of ideas. We normalize demonic forces or the atrocities of sinful, broken people. And we might even turn to those demonic, we turn those demonic forces into heroes or anti-heroes, depending on the show, because that makes them more palatable for us. It's okay for us to take a serial killer and make him human and make them someone that we can like and obsess over. We can even take Lucifer himself and turn into the hero of his own show because he's just misunderstood. Can, can I tell you that that is not true and that is a lie from the pit of hell? And I'm, I'm comfortable with saying that because um, there is nothing humane about our enemy. They uh, do not abide by a Geneva Convention where they will you know, hold back. Um, their job and their one goal is to destroy you or to incapacitate you. And so they will use whatever means. They'll use your family, they'll use your kids, they'll use your job, they'll use uh, you. <laughs> they'll use your feelings and your emotions and your thoughts. They'll use everything they can. Because the problem is, with us today, is that the enemy is not out there. <laughs> We've invited him in. Jesus speaks to this pretty clearly in Matthew 6, and I've got it for us to look at. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, um, the eye is the lamp of the body. So, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Jesus was talking at the Sermon on the Mount when he said this, and he's specifically talking about sin, about how like if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, chop it off. But he's being very clear. The things that we take in through our eyes are the things that directly affect our hearts. So, if the things that we are using as entertainment are things that are, are uh, glorifying spiritual forces of darkness, friends, how great is that darkness within us? It's important for us to talk about this because we need to recognize that the war is very, very real. And in fact, there are multiple ways that we can find spiritual forces of evil at work in God's people. Um, some of that actually shows up as real, actual oppression. Now, I, I want to be really clear here. Oppression is not necessarily because the political party that I like didn't get voted in. <laughs> I just need to let that settle for a second, let that, let that land, okay? That's not, that's not oppression. That's not what I'm talking about. When we talk about actual spiritual forces of darkness oppressing people who are following Jesus, it's people who are actually opposing your ability to share the gospel. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about like our tax cuts. I'm talking about actual, like, you can't share the gospel kind of thing. That's spiritual oppression and darkness. Um, it looks like a uh, temptation um, to invest our time and energy in irrelevant side issues. Rather than focusing on the mission of the gospel, we're going to talk about the color of the carpet and let that completely derail our mission. Or um, fascinations with distorted teachings like heresies, conspiracy theories, issues that have absolutely nothing to do with the gospel, but completely divide us. Might be fun to talk about sometimes, but are an actual avenue of spiritual warfare. It could be the, the general temptations uh, of money, power, and sex, the things that affect all people. These are all ways we can see spiritual warfare at work, but we have to have eyes that are open to see it. I bring it all up because what's the command that Paul gives us? He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Well, we can't be strong in the Lord if we're consistently inviting darkness in. And if we're consistently inviting darkness in and we're unaware that it exists, how much more are we in darkness? So he's telling us to be strong in the Lord, and I think he gives us some pretty 
clear instructions on how to do that. Because, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Rihanna alluded this to this earlier in the service today, but it's really important. Because how are we strong in someone else means that we depend on them. So how do we be strong in the Lord? We remove our dependence on ourselves, and we put our dependence on him, on Jesus. That, that's how we do that. Because the thing is, is that all of us live in a world where you are expected to do everything yourself. This is the American dream. It's the, it's the mindset of our culture. You do it yourself, okay? And, and I'm guilty of this. I'm so guilty of this. I'm even guilty of teaching my kids this. Now, granted, I maybe do it in a little sarcastic way because they will call me from the other side of the house to bring them a water bottle, and I look at them and say, God is good. He gave you two legs and two arms. Go get it yourself, okay? All right? Now, the mentality there is take care of yourself. But the problem is, is that we try to take care of ourselves too much. To the, we try to take on the burdens that aren't ours, the burdens that we can't actually bear. When we depend on ourselves, that means that you're depending on your strengths and your weaknesses to get you through. And I don't know about you, but if I start depending on my weaknesses, we're going down quick. <laughs> um, you may have seen the picture um, of the, uh, war, uh, the planes in World War I. Have you seen those pictures? Maybe World War II. I don't know. My history gets fuzzy. But it's the pictures of the planes that were getting shot down, right? Uh, and so they took the picture of the planes that were coming back of where all the holes were at, right? And they were all in the wings and in the tail. Anybody see this picture? Do you know what I'm talking about? Anybody? Okay, one person. All right, that's fine. Two people. Great. All right, so work with me. There's a plane. <laughs> When they would fly and they would land back, they would be filled with holes in the wings and in the tail. And the comment was, oh, well, that's where we need to put extra armor. And the engineer said, no. i leave it to the engineers. Um, the engineer said, no, you want to reinforce the armor in the other spaces because those are the planes that make it back. All right? It's kind of a weird analogy, but truck with me for a second. When we put our dependence on ourselves... That means that we're looking at our weaknesses and we're saying, all right, I'm going to put all of my things here. I'm going to put all my armor, all of my work here, and that'll be fine. But we leave exposed all of the parts of us that are completely subject to be destroyed because we think it's about us and we're depending on ourselves to make it through. But Paul says, no, don't be strong in you. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. We put dependence on Christ. We inhale it in. We bring it deep into our being because there's not one thing that we can do in our own strength and power. When we depend on ourselves, we do not win. We will fail every time. Because the other thing that we need to remember here is that Paul does not say that we are in kind of a modern warfare thing. Uh, he's talking about wrestling or struggling, if your translation may say. That, uh, that word there is very indicative of close hand-to-hand -hand combat. You are in somebody's face, all right? Now, I don't know about you the last time you were in somebody's face, but it's been a hot minute for me, unless you count a kid, but that's a different story. Um, but we are told to wrestle, to struggle against these forces of darkness. This is hand-to-hand -hand combat. This isn't, we're not miles away watching it on the TV and saying, oh, that looks bad. I really hate it for those people. We're not talking about an angelic drone strike coming in. We're talking about a real face-to-face -face battle that you are in every day. And our enemies are not human. They're not humane. They're powerful and wicked. And they're seeking by any means necessary to destroy you or to render you useless. That's why he tells us to struggle. And the only way we can do that is to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So how do we do that? Point two, if you're taking notes. To stand firm. That's, that's good, right? To stand firm. That's got like a nice like battle cry to it. We stand firm in the Lord. I'm thinking about Franklin because he's the guy I think about when I think about wrestling. And I know that uh, in wrestling, the main thing is your feet. You got to have good feet. If you don't, your feet aren't rooted, then you're going to go down fast, right? Right, Franklin? Yeah, yeah. So the, the same is true for, for most other sports. We talk about feet. You've got to have good feet work. Your feet have got to be strong and rooted and grounded. If you don't, you're going to get knocked down, all right? So Paul spends a lot of time talking to us to stand. In fact, if you look, he says it a lot of times. <laughs> be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the scheme of the devil's. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand. Therefore, you get it? 
stand. <laughs> we have to stand firm. That's how we withstand it. So how do we do that? How do we stand firm? Well, he tells us, you stand firm by putting on the whole armor of God. I have a song in the back of my head. I'm not going to sing it. Uh, put on the whole armor of God. That word there, whole armor, in the Greek is panoplia, which is a fun word to say, panoplia. It's the full armor of a heavy-armed soldier. That's the idea. It's the full thing, all of the equipment. And it's important for us to recognize this because it is all of it. Um, I've got some pictures for us uh, to see what this can kind of look like, so I'm going to ask to get that up there because it's important for us to have the visual. Now, these are artistic uh, renditions of it, but that is full armor, okay? Nothing is left uncovered. We want to make sure that we are fully covered. What's important, though, is that when he's talking about this full armor of God, and we're going to walk through it in a second, um, we, we notice that it's the armor of who? Of God. It's not your armor. It's his armor, and it's his armor that we're putting on, and it's forged and furnished by him. I, I think Paul was uh, a really good student. I know that Paul was a really good student of the Old Testament, because throughout Isaiah and the Psalms, it talks about how God has a breastplate of righteousness, how God has a helmet of salvation, and that how God has a sword with which he strikes down his enemies. Those weapons are all God's, and he gives them to us to use in this battle every day, because he knows they work. They're his they made him. He made him, and he made him for us to put on. Notice also that it says put on the whole armor of God, right? It didn't just say put on a piece. Put on all of it, because it's only when it's all present that you can actually stand firm and withstand evil, okay? If I were a football player and I only put on shoulder pads, I would not last very long on the field. That's about all I know of football, so you're welcome. <laughs> um, but the same is true for almost any type of sport, anything that requires hand-to-hand -hand combat, anything that requires a fight. If you walk in unprepared and undefended and undressed, you're going to go down quick. Same is true for us. We have to put on the whole armor of God. A Puritan minister, his name was William Gurnall, says this about the armor of God, and I really liked it. He said, in heaven we shall appear not in armor, but in robes of glory. That's a pretty, that's beautiful, right? In heaven, we appear in robes of glory because we don't need it. But here, the armor is to be worn night and day. We must walk, work, and sleep in them, or else we are not true soldiers of Christ. That's why I said earlier, we're not in heaven yet. We have to be armed for the battle. Uh, these renditions give us a really good visual of how we're prepared for war individually, and we're going to come back and walk through this. But I have one more slide, because soldiers don't fight battles alone, they fight them as a group. Look at that. Ain't nothing getting through those shields, okay? That is a picture of the church. That's one of the reasons that if you've been in impact for any amount of time, one of the things that we say often is, we are not a cruise ship, we are a... <laughs> That's right. We're a battleship. And sometimes we might think of like modern warfare battleships, aircraft carriers, those kinds of things. That needs to be the picture we have in mind. Because that right there is the church. All of us girded up for war, fighting together, battling, not each other, but fighting the spiritual forces of darkness. That's the picture. Can we go back to the slide of the individuals? Because we want to walk through this armor very quickly. Um, Paul, beginning in verse 13, talks to us about different uh, aspects of the armor. He actually mentions six different things. So we're going to work through those piece by piece. If you're taking notes, you can to write these things down. In verse 13, he says, Therefore, because of we're fighting and wrestling against the spiritual forces of darkness, we take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Meaning, we put it all on, and then we can stand firm. And he says, Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. So, the first equipment in this battle is the belt of truth. You wouldn't necessarily think belt as a piece of armor. Okay? Because it's not really, like, it doesn't protect anything. Like, it's, it's just it's a piece of leather. Okay? But what it does is it holds everything together. Without the belt, everything's going to be flishing and flashing and, and going every which way, and you're going to get tangled up. So the belt's job is to hold it together. So what does Paul call our belt? He calls it truth, the belt of truth. Truth 
holds everything together. And it demonstrates a sense of readiness because it makes sure that nothing gets in the way of our movement. If we're not committed to truth and word and deed, we will, we will fail this battle because we can get tripped up by lies from ourselves, from our feelings. Our feelings lie to us. We can get tripped up by um, other people. We can be tripped up by things of the world and by the culture. We can be tripped up even by good friends who are well-meaning Christians that may not be listening to truth themselves. If we are not girded with truth, then we will get tripped up and fail. So what is truth? The gospel. (laughs) That is the truth that holds everything together. The gospel is truth. So we fastened everything together with the truth of the gospel, and we hold fast to that because it holds everything together. The next piece of armor that we see here is having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Okay, a breastplate is a really important piece of armor. Typically, it was made out of uh, a really thick metal with probably some hide or some leather or felt or something on the inside so it was a little more comfortable. A lot of times we think of a breastplate as only being in the front. That's not true. It covered the whole torso. It, It covered all of it. That was its point. The point of a breastplate is that it covers all of your vital organs. Okay? And it was thick. It was thick because if somebody's in hand-to-hand combat, what are they going for? Anything in here. I'm saying anything in here gets punctured, we're going to have a bad day. You know what I'm saying? All right. So they make sure that it covers the whole thing. But what is our breastplate? What is it that covers us? What protects all of our vital organs? Righteousness. Oh, this is good because it's not our righteousness. Mm, it's not us. It's not you. It's not all the good things that you've done. That's not what you get to wear on it. All the good things that you've done is like mud splattered on it. You know what I'm saying? The breastplate of righteousness is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We are considered righteous and covered because of what he has done. He is the fundamental picture of God's justice and God's goodness, and he is the one who is righteous. So what covers all of our vital organs, all of our squishy bits, as my um, uh, uh, human A&P teacher used to say? What covers that is the righteousness of Jesus. That's good. (laughs) That is good. That is really good. The next thing that Paul mentions, thing number three, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So what covers our feet? Peace readiness, gospel of peace. We've already talked about the importance of our feet because um, Paul's command here is to stand, stand firm, withstand, and the importance of of footing in that. So what makes that available for us, what makes that good, is the gospel of peace. The question is, what does that mean? What peace? Well, the gospel brings peace between two, really three people, three groups. One, it brings peace between you and God. You have peace with God because of Jesus. There is peace. So now I'm not stumbling and tripping up and and worried about what do I have to do to please God? What do I have to do to make sure that he likes me today? Friend, let me tell you, God loves you the same yesterday, today, and forever. His love for you never changes. And, And honestly, he even likes you, okay? He made you. He knows you inside and out. He knows all of the little parts that are messed up, and he's working on them, okay? You have peace with him if you are in Christ. That is good news. Okay. That gospel of peace not only is between you and God, but it's between you and others. Because of the gospel, you can have peace with others. And this is important because sometimes people are, are an avenue for spiritual warfare, and you can have peace there, especially if they are also in Christ. But this gospel of peace allows us to be ready. It allows us to stand firm. Because if we're holding on to the peace of God, we cannot be knocked down. My Mississippi's going to come out for a second. But there ain't nothing that can knock us down. Okay? It's a double negative, and it's important. Okay? It's really important. All right. Uh, The other thing that we need to know about peace is that this peace in God uh, is not just uh, an abstract concept. It's an actual thing that you can experience. It's an experiencing the peace of God. The Old Testament calls it shalom, right? This shalom peace. 
Um, and the word shalom actually refers to kind of a completeness, a wholeness, things that are, that are everything is right. That's what shalom means. And that is only found in Christ. So what helps us to be ready to stand firm? Peace, the peace of Christ. So we put that on our feet, and he says, in all circumstances, if you're, if you're following along in your Bible, can you underline the word all? Because that's a really important word. That means in all circumstances. Paul, Paul didn't, he wasn't mincing words here. In every single one, all of them, take up the shield of faith. Now, let's talk about shields for a minute. There are a couple of renditions, and actually Roman soldiers had two different shields, two of them. One was kind of a circular shield. That was just kind of right here. Honestly, it was not very effective. It was mainly used for like, like if you watch the movie Gladiator, like that's the thing. That's, that's not the shield we're talking about. We're talking about this one. This shield was actually three pieces of wood that were planked together that were then covered in linen and then covered in hide and then covered in some sort of metal. Okay? It, it was a very effective shield. <laughs> it was banded in iron or some sort of metal. It was long, and it was meant to, uh, to link together with the other people around you, and it was meant to be a very, very firm shield. And Paul specifically tells us what it does. He says, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Oh, but it's a shield of what? Faith. It's a shield of faith. It's faith that protects us from all the major onslaughts from the enemy, things that destroy us, temptations that come out of nowhere. Because what is faith? Faith is loyally believing that Jesus is better. That Jesus is enough. That's faith. And so here we are going about our day, and here comes a coworker with a passive-aggressively worded email that you really just want to lash back out at. Jesus is better than that coworker. Okay? Here comes my kid who is throwing a full-blown level five tantrum. Things are getting broken in my home. Jesus is better. Here comes this temptation from any range, temptation to gossip, temptation to lust, temptation towards pride, temptation towards uh, gluttony, temptation towards envy or jealousy, anything. Jesus is better, and Jesus is enough. I don't need it. Because faith here is not just believing in Jesus for salvation, but believing that Jesus is our Lord. It's giving him full control and allowing him to do the work. Fastest thing that extinguishes any type of fiery dart from Satan, any type of temptation, is looking, directly, looking it directly in the face and saying, Jesus is better. That's how we do it. The next piece of armor is a helmet. He says, take the helmet of salvation. Okay, where is the helmet worn? That's the only place it's useful, is on a head. It's not on the head. It's not doing its job. So a helmet of salvation is there to protect our head. It's meant to actually protect um, your brain. <laughs> Without your brain, you, you can't function, um, actually. I didn't know if you knew that. A medical impossibility to function without a brain. Um, the helmet itself that Paul is talking about would have been uh, able to withstand a direct blow from an axe or a sword. Like you, somebody could have taken an axe blade to the helmet and it, it wasn't going to pierce it. It's a very, very strong metal, very strong piece of equipment. But what does that for us is salvation, the knowledge of salvation. And this is really important because if you were in Christ, you have to maybe remind yourself sometimes that you were saved, that you are saved, you will be saved, you are being saved. We got to remind ourselves of those things because that protects our head. That's what gives us confidence to face the battle. That's what helps us withstand. That's what helps us actually go into it. Because fighting a battle is not a passive decision. It's very active. And it's a decision that we make with our brains, with our heads. And so what gives us the confidence to do it, to be able to withstand it, to be able to step into it, is knowing that we are fully saved in Jesus Christ. And there is not one thing that can take that away from you. That's it. The end. That's what we have to latch on to. So we have this, this armor. Notice, though, that all of that armor is defensive. 
The majority of the armor that we've been given is defensive. What does that tell us about it? That tells us that this battle is mainly about withstanding it. It's mainly about going through it. Because the thing that we have to remember, battle's already won. We sang a song about that earlier. Battle belongs to the Lord. It's already won. He did it. Jesus died on the cross. Satan's overthrown. The end. Hallelujah. Problem is, they haven't figured that out yet. Okay? In, in all honesty, um, the, the way that this is, is thought about is that Jesus reigns in heaven, and Satan, right now, is ruling the earth. He controls it like, to a certain degree. And that, we see that throughout Scripture. John says that. Jesus says that. Calls them all these kinds of things. Prince of the power of the air. Rulers, authorities. That's what that's talking about. But the fact of the matter is, is that until Jesus returns to establish, and, or not to, re, to establish, but to, to kind of make sure everybody else knows that Jesus won, we're in this war. And our job is to withstand and to stand firm. So you got to have a lot of defensive armor to do that. The next thing, though, we have two offensive weapons. There are two ways to be offensive. The first one, he says, is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This sword is not like a, a long sword or a claymore or like big swords. Short one. It's a short sword. What's the purpose of a short sword? Close combat. Okay, that was my fencing style. All right, short, close combat. That was the idea, okay? Because it's meant for quick strikes. It's not meant to, you know, do major damage. It's meant for to be quick. And what is our offensive sword? It's the word of God. It's the sword of the spirit. It's the gospel. This is what God uses to work in our hearts and lives, and this is what God uses to work in the hearts and lives of others. Okay, this is why Hebrews says that this, the word of the Lord is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, and can pierce even to the division of bone and marrow. It's why Revelation and Isaiah talk about a sword coming out of, ooh, that got really loud, coming out of God's mouth, coming out of Jesus' mouth to destroy his enemies. It's this sword. It's his word, and it matters. So we have to be able to use his sword. How do we do that? Well, you got to take it up. Because here's the other thing. All of our defensive equipment is stuff that you just wear. It's things you know, right? I know that I'm saved. I'm covered by Jesus' righteousness. I have truth in the gospel. I'm covered with peace, and I have peace with God. I have faith. Jesus is enough. All that's kind of, kind of passive to a certain degree. But a sword is not passive. It's very active. It's get in there right? Okay. So how do we take up the sword? Well, I have four ways that you can take it up. And if you were expecting like some grandiose thing, um, I'm really sorry to disappoint you because there are things that if you've been in church or you've been here, you've heard them. So I'm just going to remind you of them today. How do you take up the sword to fight? You read it. You read it. If you never touch the sword, you can't use it. And I know that some people may think that just by holding it, that I'll get it, or if I sleep with it under my pillow, osmosis happens at night. That's not how it works. You have to read it. And, I, and by reading it, I don't just mean like, let me read my verse of the day that popped up on version. I'm talking about like actually reading the Bible, reading it, knowing what it says, seeing it as one unified story that points to Jesus. All of the Old Testament points us to Jesus. All of the New Testament points us either to Jesus as he was here or points us to him as he's coming again. That's it. It's about Jesus. We have to know the story. So you read it so that you know it. Okay? Not only do we read it, we should meditate on it. Okay? Meditation is one of those things that gets fuzzy and hokey and weird. But when we talk about meditation here, I'm not talking about an emptying of your mind, finding inner peace in the void. That's not it. Meditation, when it comes to God's word, is a filling. It's a filling of the mind and of the soul. It's a taking a passage, taking a few verses, taking one verse, taking a psalm, taking a phrase from scripture and diving into it and saying that this, this is true 
and it matters, and it's thinking about it, and it's dwelling on it, and it's letting it come in. It's not some mantra that you just say in. I, we have a friend that used to say that I, I breathe in the promises and exhale something. I don't remember. Uh, it, that's not it. <laughs> that's not it. Um, yes, deep breathing is helpful, uh, but when we're talking about meditating on God's scripture, we're talking about meditating on his word, it's filling it, filling our minds with it, letting it rest giving it time to process and to sink down past the outer layers where 90% of our life is lived to the very core of our beings. It takes mental space to do that. So you can't meditate on the go, typically. It takes time to quiet it. Um, we should memorize it. That's a, a pretty important thing. And honestly, I think it's a, a skill that we, we should be better at. We should do better at. Because memorizing scripture allows us to be ready in the moment, okay? Like I talked about, it's a short sword, right? It's meant to be in quick, okay? If I have it memorized, that means it, it's ready in the moment. And we have a perfect example of this. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus, here comes Satan, and he offers him three different trials and temptations that were recorded for us. And what does Jesus do every time? He combats it with scripture, this is what scripture says. This is what his says. This is what the Lord says. He didn't say, hold on, let me go get my scroll of Isaiah real fast. He was ready. He knew what it said. Okay? We only get to that point if we memorize it. Finally, the last one is study it. And this is important for us to remember because there is a difference between reading God's word and studying God's word. Those are two different things. Reading God's word, I think we should do every day. Oh, I, I, I know, <laughs> I know we should do every day because it's, it's indwelling God's word in our lives. It helps us to be ready. It reminds us of the story. It gets us refocused, okay? We should do that every day. Study, though, is not just reading the chapter and saying, oh, that was really good, check, moving on. Study is sitting down. It's looking at it. It's reading it. It's if you've been coming to community group, it's going through those seven arrows, asking questions. What does it say? What did it mean to the, the original audience? What does it say about God? What does it say about people? What does it say about me? How am I called to obey? How am I prompted to pray? It's, it's taking the time to really spend time with the word. Now, you may, you may be hearing that and saying, Wes, that sounds awesome, and I would love to do that. However, have you seen my calendar? Have you seen my house? Have you seen the people in my life? Five minutes to even think about doing that? It's like a luxury. And let me tell you something. I completely understand. <laughs> um, com I completely understand. However, how do you think we can be prepared for battle if we can't even take up our swords? We can't. So if you feel like you're struggling in spiritual warfare, you think you're, you're failing and you're falling and you're being attacked from every angle, might I encourage you to just spend some time in the Word? Take up your sword and actually get ready for the fight. Because I can guarantee you, while your kids may be screaming in the other room, you know the pitch that actually requires your attention. You know what I'm saying? Okay? You know where it actually requires your attention. You can put your phone on Do Not Disturb for 20 minutes so that you're not bombarded with messages. And if we can spend 20 minutes to the average use is about two and a half hours a day on social media, I think that we could spend a few more minutes in actual God's word, not just looking at memes of it. Um, however, it's important to note that this, this sword, what is this? Um, the sword is not the only offensive weapon. He gives us one more, and that's prayer. In verse 18, Paul says, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplications. That's a, a pretty all-encompassing subject of prayer, because it's prayer. <laughs> what is prayer? It, it's taking everything to Christ. It's bringing everything to Him. So when we're talking about this, this battle, we're talking about this warfare, we're talking about being strong in the Lord and the strength of His might, putting on His armor, fighting the battle with Him, that means that we have to take it to Him because He is the one in whom we stand. Prayer here is not just another weapon to take up, but it's something that encompasses the whole thing. It covers the whole thing. 
It's in prayer that we take on the armor of God. We put on the armor of God, and we use it confidently against the spiritual forces of evil that are around us. But what's important here is that Paul doesn't just say, pray for yourself, okay? He doesn't. He says, pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplications. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. If the only person you're praying for is yourself, you are shortchanging yourself and your people and the church. We don't just pray for ourselves. We pray for all of the saints because we recognize that you are not the only one in a battle. Every, world, every person in this room is in a battle. Every person in our city, in your community group, in your family, in your workplace, every person is in a battle. So we don't just pray for ourselves. We pray for all of the saints because they're all locked in the same battle that we're in. And we pray at all times and always. He says persevering in prayer, with all perseverance. Perseverance means to keep going when you think you can stop. That, that's what that means. It means you, you push through the wall. I'm not a runner by any stretch of the imagination. But every runner that I've ever talked to talks about this. There is a wall that you think you can't go. And if you just keep going and press through, then boom, you can go for miles. The same is true for us in prayer. Prayer needs to be something that encompasses our life. It's not just uh, an arrow that we're shooting into heaven saying, Jesus, hear me in the moment. Prayer is actually cultivating a relationship with him and spending time with him, allowing him to speak to us. And we pray at all times with all prayer and supplication. We keep alert with all perseverance and make supplications for all the saints. We're only able to be offensive in this war if we can stand firm with his word and with his presence. That's the only way we can do it. So Paul, Paul is pretty clear, and he's pretty strong, and it's pretty important for us to, to recognize this, because where is Paul when he's writing this letter? Dude's chained up. He's in prison. So I think that's one of the reasons why he's pretty clear about what the armor looks like, because he's got a living model next to him. He's able to write it down. But if you notice, what does Paul pray for? In verse 19, he asks them to pray also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul didn't ask for a change in his circumstances. Paul asked to be bold. In fact, the word there is brazen. It's a, a word that means bold even when it's uncomfortable. I don't know if you've met someone who's brazen. They're typically not on everybody's, you know, top 10 friend list. They're really good. They're really great. But sometimes they're like, eh. <laughs> you're at a 10, bring it down to about a four. <laughs> okay. Or like a, 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 somebody in marketing or a salesman, that's the word, who's brazen. Like, it's like the Verizon guy in Walmart who walks up to me and says, hey, do you have a cell phone plan? Yes. Would you like to change it? N no. Great. Let me show you. No. <laughs> as uncomfortable as that is, that's what Paul's asking for them to pray for him to be, to be that way about the gospel, to be brazen. And I love the last phrase of that verse, as I ought to speak, meaning this is something that he, we ought to be. Um, after... Paul finishes this conversation about the armor of God. He gives his benedictions, his final greetings. And this is going to give us our, our last little bit about how we stand firm, how we fight this battle. Um, beginning in verse 21, it says, So that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing, Titius, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Amen. The last thing about how we can fight this battle, how we can stand firm, your third point, is to have peace in the Lord. Have peace. Um, that looks like peace with God through faith in Christ, peace with others through love, and it's a peace that crosses barriers crosses all barriers. Remember, this has kind of been a, a theme that Paul has kind of talked about through the whole book of Ephesians, the diversity of the church, of people, that there is now no division. 
So we, we got to get rid of all of the walls. And it's a peace that takes its place. We also need to remember that this peace is not a passive peace. It's active. It's not, it's not something that's just experienced. It's something that has to be fought for. Because as we just talked about, this peace is based in prayer. He prays for both peace and grace, Paul does, for the followers of Jesus. And it's important for us to, to talk about this. Peace has been a theme throughout the whole book because peace is only found in Christ. So how do we fight this for? We are strong in the Lord, stand firm in the Lord, have peace in the Lord. All those things are found only in Christ. So that's how we do that. But another thing that he talks about specifically at the end here is grace. Grace, for we have to remember that this peace is a gift of God. It's given by grace through faith in Jesus. And this peace and grace is supposed to be on all the followers of Jesus, all those who love him and who are loved by him. This peace, then, is an active expression of an inner reality, of what it means to be in Christ. There's peace. It's a freedom from conflict that comes in Christ. It's not a, a necessarily a freedom from conflict with spiritual forces of darkness, because Paul just spent the last few verses telling us, you are going to fight this war, so you're going to have conflict. And it's not necessarily saying you're not going to, you're going to be conflict-free from other people, but you are going to be free from conflict with God. And if we're in Christ, we should experience that freedom from conflict together, because that peace is what gives us the ability to lock shields, and to stand firm together. As we kind of bring this to a close, I'm going to ask the, the worship team to kind of make their way back up here. But I, I do pray that you've, you've heard a call to remember um, that you are in a battle today, and it's a real one. It's not a battle that is imaginary. I'm, I'm not a, a, a war hawk trying to tell weird things. Um, and I hope that you've seen that we've, we're being faithful to, to what's being said, what Paul has said. But we need to remember that we have real spiritual enemies that are fighting to destroy you and incapacitate you. And if you are not careful, they will win. So how do we respond to this? How, how do we, what do we do with this? How do we take this on? Well, I think there are a few ways that we can respond. First one is that we can probably repent. Um, we can repent of our closed eyes and ignorant spirits. We can repent of um, allowing ourselves to be lulled to sleep and complacency. And we need to wake up. We need to open our eyes and see. So my, my encouragement for you today as we respond to this is open your eyes and see through spiritual eyes what's happening in your life, what's happening in the world. Don't see everything as a spiritual attack, like I said earlier, and don't reinterpret world, event, world events to, to fit a narrative about how everything's going to be. That's not what I'm talking about. I need you to open your eyes and notice that there's a real battle going on, and you may have been ignoring it, and by ignoring it, you've been subject to it. The second thing we need to do is in that repentance, in that bringing to the Lord these things and turning away from them, we probably need to just spend some time and pray. We need to pray and ask God to change our hearts so that we can live in this new reality that we're in, a reality marked by spiritual warfare. We need to pray that we can put on all of his armor, that we can stand in the strength of his might, the strength of his might, not ours, and that we can stand against every single flaming dart of the enemy, every temptation, every depression, every anxiety, every discord, every jealousy or envy, every lust, every pride, everything that lures us away from him and his goodness. We need to pray that we see Jesus as better and we see Jesus as enough. And third, finally, we just need to fight. See, the thing about a war is there are no sidelines. It's not only a team of our elite eight out there making it happen. In a war, everybody is in. And there are no breaks. We sleep in our armor. We eat in our armor. We are prepared at all times because attacks come at all times. And we're under attack and we need help. We reach out to those that can help us. That's why we gather as a church. We need to view this as a time as a, a hospital for warriors fighting a battle. Coming to be healed and revived to go out and continue to fight the war. 
because it's a real war of spiritual darkness in our lives and in our communities. And here's the thing, just to remind us, that fight the war may feel individual, but you're not the only one. It's raging in your heart. It's raging in the heart of your families, your spouses, your kids, your brothers and sisters, your parents. It's raging in your neighbors' hearts, in your friends' hearts, in your coworkers' hearts, in the random person who cuts you off on 95. It's raging in their heart. And your job is to withstand it so that you can declare boldly the truth of the gospel of Jesus. So as we enter our response time, I'm going to invite you to take time to pray over this in your life and maybe the lives of those sitting next to you because we need to pray for all the saints. So I can guarantee you that the person sitting next to you probably needs prayer for the battle too. So let's do that today and we'll enter our response time together. Let's pray. Hi, Pastor Brandon here. Thanks again for listening to our Impact Church Sermon Podcast. If God has spoken to you today or you have a prayer request you'd like to share, please email us at hello at impactfxbg.church. If you're local to the Fredericksburg area, we would love to see you for worship in person. But if not, please let us know if we can help you find a gospel-centered church right where you're at. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram and on our website, www.impactfxbg.church. Until next time, keep living the dream.